0: People have died climbing Mount Everest, um, exploration since the early 1900s. Um, dead bodies are a common sight when you're climbing, when people are climbing on top of Mount Everest. They'll talk about looking down into the crevices and seeing bodies, but they're just not able to be recovered because of where they are and the situation that they find themselves in. And 11 people died in 2019, and then in 2015, 15 people died in an avalanche that swept over. Um, the hikers talk about that it's just more dangerous in hiking now, partially because of the crowds that are, that are going up. It just gets very crowded, but yet people still hike. Um, the Matterhorn, which is the picture behind me, 3,000 climbers scale the Matterhorn in Switzerland every year. Um, every year, about 15 people die from climbing up to the Matterhorn. Um, there's a man, Donald Stephen Williams, 17 years old. He actually, um, if he were living still today... Um, I would be just four months older than he is, but he died in July 23rd, 1975 as a 17-year-old climbing the Brithorn in Switzerland, and on his epitaph reads these words, I choose to climb. He would rather die climbing than die sitting in New York City. And my desire is, as we come this morning, may we choose to climb. May that be our heartbeat. And before I give you what I see as a big idea, look at this passage just for a moment that um, Mario just read to us. And when you look at the words and the layout, the big idea really just easily flows out or screams to us. When you look at the words that are repeated, um, you see the word press on is repeated twice in this, in verse 12 and in verse 14. And then you have the word obtain, that's also in verse 12. Well, a compound verb, so it's from the same root, it appears three more times. So you have press twice, you have attain or the root to make my own is four times. And then you have the word perfect is used in verse 12. And then in verse 15, it's translated mature, it's really the same root. So you put it all together, Paul wants to press on, For something that he wants to apprehend or seize or make his own, but he hasn't made it his own yet. And his goal is perfection or maturity in Jesus Christ to get to the point of absolute perfection. So I propose to you that we should keep striving to seize, to seize Christ, keep striving to, to grab him, to make him our own. So he's talking about striving, pressing on, and the goal to grab Christ to make him our own verses 12 to 14 if we could just for just one brief moment look at this this slide because I think it's kind of important in in looking at the whole framework of how it's put together there are a series of clauses or contrasting parallelism he puts two groups together so you have verse the first verse 12 and verse 13a he's talking about not having obtained something yet and he repeats that. In fact, we see that repeated, that, those, those words, as I just mentioned, four times. But he says, I've not obtained it yet. I've not grabbed it yet, but I'm pressing on. I want to grasp it, but I've not considered myself to have grasped." That's in contrast to what we see that follows in verse 12 being 13. But I'm pressing on. So I've not made it my own. I've not made it yet, but I'm pressing on. And that's, playing as a contrast in this passage that really is showing us the heart of Paul. What is he after? So verse 12. Not that I have obtained this or already am perfect. Then verse 13a. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have made it. If I were to ask you, what's what's precious to you? What's valuable to you? Certainly we would think of of our family, our family sitting next to us. Um, Think of our spouses, think of our children, um, think of our grandchildren. Um, My kids say that really I don't go out, we don't go out to see them, we go out to see the grandchildren. Lynn goes out to see our daughters and the grandchildren, I just go out to see the grandchildren. Um, No, that's not true. Um, But what's precious to us are our people, but we heard testimony from Keith Green, oh Lord, you're beautiful, from taking him from drugs the sex that he was involved in. Eastern mysticism when he found Christ at the age of 21. Um, just radically transformed. The Lord became beautiful. Became precious to him. Well in this passage we're seeing a similar heartbeat of the apostle Paul. He's sharing this is what's precious to me. This is what, what is, what is out incredible and what, what, what I'm after. So he says it. Not that I have obtained. Um, this, this word of team." It uh, means to grasp. I, I've not made it my own yet. I haven't seized it where, where it's all mine. I haven't attained to this, to this yet. So he says, I'm not there yet. I've not grabbed it yet. But it's something that, that he's pursuing, something that he's after. Uh, what is he talking about? Not that I have obtained, not that I have made it yet. There's no object that's 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 given to us, so we really look back into context, and we, I believe, the implied object is even as Pastor Lawrence looked at last week. We really find it in verses 10 and 11. Um, his, he was found in Christ. He gained Christ. But what he's after is to know Christ fully, to know Christ in every aspect of his life, know Christ completely. That's the heart of. What he hasn't grasped yet. That's, that's what he's nailing here. And I think even to go fuller. As he says. To attain the resurrection of the dead. He's not questionable that he's going to get there. He says I want to be living in this life. That I have gotten to the resurrection of the dead. I want to be living to the point. Of knowing Christ so fully. That I'm living a life. Of, of maturity in Christ. That I made Christ my own. Really put. To be victorious over sin. So Paul's after this, this goal, and we'll we'll talk more of that in a moment. But his, what, what just fills his heart, what is precious to him, as you look at this whole passage and what he's pressing towards, what he wants to obtain, how he desires to be perfect. That's what's precious to Paul that has radically so changed changed his life. In this passage, you see the singular focus of Paul. Um, we used to have this beautiful German shepherd when we lived on Long Island. Unfortunately, only able to have him for a year or have her for a year because she was pretty aggressive to anybody that wasn't named the Crompton, um, But she would lie in the hallway. We didn't have her in the kitchen. The only place in the house would be just the hallway. The front door of the hallway there is where she stayed. She went nowhere else. And she was restricted to that. And she wasn't allowed to eat from scraps from the table. She had a singular focus though. She would always be looking at me at the table. And you know why, right? Because when Lynn's back was at the sink, I would fly food over to her. I think I probably was eventually caught out but Epi kept looking at me because was hoping that would get a piece of, of, of meat. She had a singular focus. Paul has a singular focus here. It is not distracted. He's, he's looking perfectly. He wants to be perfectly found in Christ. He wants to know him completely. Intimately. In every aspect of his life. Paul... Chose to climb. Paul then says in verse 13. Um, I do not consider that, I've, that I. have Oh I'm sorry. Verse, verse 12. Or I'm already perfect. So I've not obtained. But I'm, nor am I saying I'm already perfect. Um, it's the same word in 15. But a little different. Or same Greek root. But different variation. Here he's saying. I'm not saying that I'm absolutely perfect. That I'm sinless. That I've arrived at it. I'm complete. I'm not saying that. But he says that's what he wants to pursue. Um, that's what he's, what he's after. I've not obtained it. Because his opponents were claiming to have gotten to that point of perfection. Hey, look at us. You know, we're pretty. Paul says, you may claim that. And they're wrong. He says, but I have not reached that point yet. But he's pressing on. That's his passion. He has this this passion of being found completely, perfectly in Christ. And that's what he's pressing towards in his life. Absolute Christ-like perfection. Paul says, "I've, I've not arrived yet. There's room for improvement. I've not made that my own. I want to be like Jesus Christ in my life. I want to think like Christ. I want to behave like Christ. I want to have the desires of Christ. But I've not arrived at that point yet. You know, I was telling telling Brent that it's been fun working on this passage because it just kind of like got to sit on it for a month just thinking through knowing this this was my assignment and praying through it and looking at it. And and Paul just had such this desire, this passion that, you know, the conviction that's asked to me and I ask of us is, you know, what what is our passion in life? When you look at Paul and this whole passage, well, just continue to drop over like a, a well-cooked meat. And so we see Paul's heartbeat here. I have to ask what, what is my passion? What, what gets my juices flowing? What gets me excited? What keeps my heart racing and I have trouble sleeping at night? What, what is it that drives me? What we're seeing here for Paul, what drives him is Christ. Many people were driven for status, um, possessions, trying to get more popularity, um, some guy or girl that a teen is after. But for Paul, it is Christ and Christ alone. But we move on to the contrast and parallelism. He says, I've not obtained, but now let's look at the pressing on point. He says in verse 12, but I press on to make it my own. Um, He gives a contrast, but, okay, this is what I'm after. I've not obtained it, but I want you to know I'm pressing on. I'm not I don't have any neutral. I'm not coasting. I'm pressing on. He's pursuing. He wants to make Christ his own. Now, we understand he's saved. He's put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ as his savior. He belongs to Christ. But he wants to have Christ be his own in every aspect of his life. In every aspect of his thinking. In every aspect of his choices and his behavior. That's what he's pressing towards. And he says, so I'm pressing towards this, this mark. I think, I believe the, the, the verbs in this paragraph, I would say that press is the main verb. This is the main thing that he's after here. Um, it could be translated to pursue. Um, it could be translated to, to press to follow. Um, but we really see the intensity of this word when we understand how it's translated another way. This word is also translated in verse six with the word persecute. The word persecute, and the word press here, it's really the same word. Paul is 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 pressing on. So let me ask you when someone's persecuting somebody else, does that involve a lot of intensity, or is that something that's kind of passive? I mean, can you imagine people being persecuted, but it's kind of just passive? I mean, I think the Christians that are persecuted and that. In you know, that window of the world where there's great persecution, they wish it would be more passive. But there's a lot of intensity in it. There's a lot of animosity. There's physical torture. It's destruction of property. And so Paul, when he says in chapter 3, verse 6, I was a persecutor, there's a lot of energy and passion in that. But it's the same word that's used now when he says, I am pressing on. You follow the intensity that he's doing this? He's not just the guy that hitting his devotions like, you know, I'll have a little quiet time with God. You know, it's been a while. It's been seven days since I've done that. Or, you know, it's been, it's been a while since I've given praise to, to Yahweh. God praise you. You're awesome. That's not Paul's life. He's pressing on with great energy and great passion in his life. Continually pursuing. One of Philly's favorite sons... You know him as Rocky Balboa. Um, Rocky Balboa was this legendary fighter um, that was a man that heard of Apollo Creed. Apollo Creed wanted to have this, um, you know, a boxer bailed out, and so he was looking for some local hero in Philadelphia that could could fight, and so they came across Rocky Balboa in the name, and so they gave him a chance, and make a long story short, a lot of the movie is showing him training He's energized now. He has one goal. What is his one goal? Was it to win? No, his one goal is I'm going to go the distance with the champ. He wants to go the full rounds. I forget, was it 12 or 14 rounds? But he wants to go to distance. And he's driven for that. And he gets to the second to the last round. And he's gone a lot further than people thought he would go. And the second to last round, he's almost going to distance. Apollo Cree knocks him down. And he staggers down. And if you remember the movie, Apollo Creed starts to celebrate because Balboa's down and he's, he's, he's won. Or so he thought. But Balboa slowly pulls himself up by the ropes. And he staggers to that top rope. And, and Apollo Creed sees him and just shakes his head that he can't believe that. And then Balboa would, would press on. He would give some punishing blows that some people thought that maybe he should have won the fight. I did. <laughs> But the point is, is, is the the, the depiction, he's pressing on. He's persistent. He's not giving in. He wants to keep to the task at hand, the goal, that I want to go the distance. And that's Paul here. Paul wants to go the distance. I got a really cool video. I'll show you sometime. Kara running up the stairs and I'm taping the Rocky song. But anyway. um, He's a legend. You could get his picture taken in Philadelphia. Um, But may we be persistent like that. May we press on. May we be individuals that are, that are passionate, that, that, God, I, I cons- want to be consumed with you. I want to press on for that goal. I don't want others to, to slow me down. I don't want others to, to drain me. I don't want to get my focus on, on anything temporal. God, I want to press on and know you. May that... May that consume me. And really it ties in with our our series that we've been having Sunday mornings, our idols. God, I I want to get rid of the the bales in my life because I want to be consumed with you and you alone. That you would be supreme God in my life. Paul says in verse 14, looking at um, this connection here. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal where press on is used again. Paul says I'm pressing on. Um, He says I have a goal. That my eyes are focused on this goal, my eyes are rivet on, riveted on this. Dave was coach of little lads, the Lakers in basketball. <clears throat> it was frustrating as a coach when the guys weren 't always riveted or focused on the goal, was it? I could remember many practices. So and so, are you paying attention what we're saying here? We got to go over the kids are looking everywhere. They're waving to people. They're distracting. They're fooling around. That's not what Paul's doing here. Paul is riveted. I press towards the goal. He has a goal. His focus is specific. He's looking direct on what he's after. It's the the idea of of an archer as a specific goal, but really here it's the runner. As he puts his gaze on what's in front of him. He wants to pursue that goal. And that goal that he's after. It's also the same word as used in chapter 2 verse 4. And it's translated look. And in chapter 3 verse 17 keep. Uh, Paul saying my running is not aimless. I'm purposeful. I want to keep it. I'm after a goal here that I'm pursuing. He's looking straight forward towards towards a goal. Again, we pause for in, in inspection in our own lives. God, what am I after? What, what am I pursuing in life? Um, what, is, what is my life all about? What is, what is my desire? Um, how, you know, when we look at our, our, our checkbook, and you ought to do that once in a while. Do you know what a checkbook is, Lawrence, or is that all online for you? Uh, you don't know what checks are. <laughs> um, but we. we we, all, we, we we assess where we are. We check things out, and you know. But we ought to examine where where are we in our resources? How we spend our resources? Um, what do we spend our, most of our resources on? How do I spend my time? What do I do in my my leisure time? Is it my time or is it God's time? What what am I doing with my abilities? And this whole thing is under this category. What am I pressing on towards? You know, I, I look at some young parents here and uh, what, what, are we going, what are you going to encourage your kids to press on for? What is it that you're pushing them to pursue? I was looking at a clip of the Olympic dream and these parents having their two little twins, two cute little guys running and all the things that they're getting involved in and then it closes with the Olympic dream. But what is your dream? Is it for them to make the Olympics? I mean, Olympics are great. I enjoy them. But is that, is that the crescendo? Is that, is that the height? Is that what we're after? Is it great education, high, get in certain high schools so they could get into a certain college? But may our desire and passion as parents, I just want my young person to love God with all of their heart. I want them to press on to become like Jesus Christ. May that be what really drives every conversation, every, every um, action we, we, we take as a family, every decision we make. Is not about drawing attention to ourselves. It's drawing attention to God and God alone. Paul says in verse 13, I call this, I will not be distracted. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. We looked at that already. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. If we could look at this clip, there are two short participle clauses that are put together here. That's really describing Paul in his in his running, um, and we're seeing Paul's running. He says, on the one hand, so he's talking. On the one hand, this is what I'm after. He says, I'm 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 not looking back. Uh, he's forgetting what's behind. But then he says, but on the other hand, I'm straining forward. So there's a contrast going on here, and he's showing us that really, as, first of all, looking at forgetting what's behind, the imagery of a runner. Imagine a runner that's running a race and he's, he's running. He says he's not, he's forgetting. It means to neglect, not to care about, forgetting what's behind. <coughs> Dennis was a coach. I'm sure you talked to your men about that. You don't look what's behind. You just stay focused on the goal. You keep running forward. In your cross country or on your, in your meets and your races. And Paul's saying that same thing here. He's, he's, he's riveted forward. He's not going to be looking behind him what, what he has just covered. He's steadfastly pressing forward. But what things are behind? What is he talking about? That we're forgetting those things that are behind. I don't think he's referring to verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6 is his past accomplishments. I think that's old news. I don't think that fits into this context. Paul says forgetting those things which are behind. He's not talking about reaching back to what he was covered a while ago as to his accomplishment. I think this whole flow of passage here is that he's pressing on, that he hasn't reached the point, though some of. His opponents are saying that they're perfect. He says, I'm not perfect yet. He has a singular focus, this goal that he's pressing on. I think the context is saying, I'm not perfectly found in Christ. I'm not going to think about my past victories. Yeah, I have some victories as a Christian, as an apostle. I'm not going to think about my past. And even goes with with our past defeats. I'm not going to let the the past as a Christian influence me for good or for nothing. I have a, I'm pressing on continually for him. In June 6, 1944, was an incredible day in American history. Um, perhaps the greatest invasion ever in world history. That this armada landed on the coast of Normandy. You have the Utah, Juneau, and Omaha beaches. And you had this over 100,000 soldiers landing. Can you imagine if the soldiers would have paused, they landed, they fought their way on. And all of a sudden, around noon, breakout tables and start to get their, I'm sure it was soda that they would have gotten, not champagne, and start drinking and celebrating because they landed on the coast. It was successful. They landed and start to have a smorgasbord food and start to give gifts and celebrating and high-fiving. That would be insane. Why? Because the enemy was still there. Enemy was still all around them. Yeah, they had a major achievement But they couldn't look behind at their victory because there was still work to be done. It's the same idea here that Paul is drawing us into. I'm forgetting what's behind because there's still something that I'm reaching forward to. And so we get to that next phrase. On the other hand that lies ahead, Paul is picturing an an athlete in verse 14. That's straining forward. (coughs) You can imagine this individual. He's just straining forward Muscles bulging out of his body. He's sweating, exertion flowing off of him. His focus is singular. He's looking completely forward because he's riveted on this one specific goal, and that's to seize Christ. Let me give you, let's see a a quick um, clip of a runner that didn't have that kind of focus. Was that any of your runners, Dennis? (laughs) Celebrating. Before you cross the line, then someone passes. But Paul is saying that I have this focus. I can't celebrate. I can't stop. I'm not across the line yet. I think of this passage. I think of something years ago. Only by the grace of God, I walked away from this situation. When I asked a lady in our church years ago on Long Island, we needed some help in the nursery. And I went up to this individual and said, hey, can, can you help us in the nursery? And I'll never, I've never forgotten her state, statement. She says, no. Now, she was about, I want to say in her early 60s, so really young, okay? Um, she says, no, no, I have done my share. I just stared at her and walked away, my heart screaming, when have we ever done our share? That's celebrating before you cross the line. That's slowing down and say, "Lo, ho, all those." And praise the Lord for her past ministry. Um, I don't know that I remember that as I asked her as I was new in the church. Um, but there is a point where we don't quit, um, even if we get to be prime timers. And we don't have that kind of energy. There's still things that we can do for God. Um, there's still a pressing on, there's still a work to be done. Paul says, I, I, I don't want to quit, I want to keep pressing on. I want to serve God and be faithful to Him. Verse 12. Look at 12C. Here's his motivation. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So all of the declarations that he's made, it all comes down, we're landing right on this. Here's his motivation. He's declaring, here's why I do what I do. Here's why I'm pressing on. Here's why I am pursuing. You know, there are many different reasons why people do what they do. Why do people do the things that they do? Why does does a guy suddenly in high school start to act weird? Because uh, he's shung off for some girl. Or why does um, a guy that is wor- at work just really hustle all of a sudden when the boss is around? Because he wants to impress him and get some promotion. Or why um, do parents sacrifice and they spend all kind of money, drive, drive their kids all around um, to sports events and so forth? What, what's, what's their goal? We're motivated by what we do. Well, Paul gives us the reason. Here's why I do what I do. And it's awesome because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul never got over his salvation. Paul often went back to that day when he's on that road to Damascus with papers in his back pocket to arrest Christians and persecute the church in Acts chapter 9 that God Christ appeared to him in that bright light and blinded him and radically called him to himself, transformed his life, a 180, and he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ as a Savior. Paul never got over that. And he says this here, I'm pressing on. Why am I pressing on? Because Christ Jesus, God the Son, the one talked about in the Old Testament the, cre- the one that would be the crea- this was the creator, one that would be God himself, one that would be divine, the Lord our righteousness, Jesus Christ, God the Son, he came and he paid for my sin. Paul never got over that. He became, he that was a murderer, became one that God would use to declare the message of life. Paul was a man that was driven by hate of the gospel. He would be driven by light of the gospel. I mean, by love of the gospel. Paul was a man that was selfish. It was all about him, a rising star. He would become a man that would be completely selfless to the point of eventually being executed for his faith in Jesus Christ, 2 Timothy 4. Paul said, he made me his own. Made me his own, by the way, is is in the passive voice. On passive means the subject is receiving the action. So here Paul is saying, Christ made me his own. I had no part of it. But Christ chose me and made me his, his own. That I belong to Christ, that, that I'm married to him. I'm, I'm, I'm part of his body. Paul was so deeply moved by that. Paul is emphasizing God's grace to him. And he just never got over that. I've asked four people in our church to give us a video testimony and then we'll go into a song from here. But four testimonies of why do they serve God? What drives you in your service of God? And then there'll be a familiar song that ties in some of these thoughts. Lover of my soul, I want to live for you. That's really what Paul is stating here. That he's been so completely consumed, grasped by Christ. Well, look at 14b. He gives a declaration. What is, he comes right out clearly. Now he specifically states it. Here's my goal as I look at what I'm pursuing for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So all of this just cascades to this one statement that I, I'm after this, this prize, the upward call. So really he's striving. He's, he's pressing on and he's towards the goal. He's not running, he's not running aimlessly. He has a goal in mind. Well, what is the goal? The goal is the prize that he's after. Oh, what's the prize? Well, let me first address, what's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Um, this word calling is used often with Paul, like in Ephesians 1.18, Ephesians 4.1, in Colossians 3.15, 1 Corinthians 1, 1.9, 26, and so forth. Um, specifically referring to the divine call of salvation. So Paul is in this upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. I've been called to salvation, but the prize that he's after is this upward calling aspect. I've been called to salvation, but there's an upward calling. There's a Christ-likeness that I'm after. There's this holiness that I'm after. It's this perfection in Christ that I'm after. Really, when we look at the context, the immediate context is he's declaring what prize is, it's the full and gaining of Christ. To know Christ fully. To know him intimately. To gain him to the sense that that he has made him his own. In his character. In his action. In how he lives. Paul's striving to be like Christ. You know who are we striving to be like? Who are we pursuing to be like? You know I think back. We won't go to the commercial now. But think back to the the old commercial. Be like Mike. Um, you know, kids wanted to be like Mike. Well, who who are we who are we pursuing? Who do we want to be like? You know, we're more influenced by our peers and those around us that maybe we understand. Who are we trying to be like? Well, here Paul says, "I just want to be like Christ. I want to grasp Him. I want this prize. The goal is this is the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. He's not after getting called. He's already saved." but the calling that he has, I want to live this life. I want to pursue him. Romans eight twenty nine gives us an understanding of what Paul's after. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. See, that's what Paul's after. I want to be conformed to the image of his son. I want to be made just like Christ. That's the goal of the Christian life that's the prize that we get to, get to pursue and Paul's saying I choose to climb so to speak I'm choosing to be like Christ I want to be like him, I want to pursue him you know Paul has stated that neither he nor the Philippians have reached that point yet they're not in perfection, they haven't reached exactly full conformity to the image of Christ but that's his goal in life That's that's what he's after. When he gets up in the morning, that's his heartbeat. That's his prayer. God, I want to be like Christ today. I want to pursue your image. Why Christ has indeed taken full possession of Paul and his converts. Paul is telling his converts that they have not yet taken full possession of Christ. And that's what he's after. Christ completely has us. But we don't completely have him yet. There will be that day when we're brought into the image of Christ's likeness. That we will be like Christ. But that's what he's pressing on for right now. What does it look like to strain for that goal? What does it look like to strain for the prize to become like Christ? What might it look like in our lives? If I am straining to be like Christ, what, what, what does it sound like? What does it look like in my life? Maybe as a young person, it would be, I am going to stand for God and especially as I think of kids in public school, though unfortunately it's not just public school, I'm sure it's true in Christian schools. But even if others are mocking me for the way that I live or my standard, I'm going to live virtuously for God. I'm going to live as a virgin. I'm going to live pure for him and be what God wants me to be. Or kids are listening to to, um, Pastor Lawrence talk about just... The youth generation and on um, some of the remarks, there's a lot of cheating apparently going on in schools. And how a young person to stand and say, "I'm just not going to cheat. I'm going to be one that just lives by truthfulness. I'm not going to tempt to get a higher grade that's not worth my own. I'm going to live to this standard." Even if people laugh and say, "Well, you mean these these scores were right over here? You didn't you didn't take those answers?" Or not in marriage? How does it look like if? if I'm pursuing Christ completely I want to be conformed to the image of Christ how does it look in our marriages that we're not going to be selfish that we'll be selfless that we'll put others first how does it look in our church you know that we might look and see people that maybe they're not here and we'll call them and say, hey, I, I miss you. Everything okay? Maybe we'll even have them over for dinner and say, hey, can you come over to our house for dinner? It's been a while since we've, we've connected. I haven't seen you in church. Just want to make sure everything's okay. We're involved in people's lives that, that we're pressing towards this goal. I want to be conformed to the image of Christ. Christ cared for people. Christ was selfless, not selfish. Or how, about, how does it look in a job when we're told to... I remember my son-in-law years ago telling me at Coleman how some are you know, mechanics and things that they'll do and how they'll fudge and give reports and how you know, sometimes they're encouraged and how some take a stand against that. You know no, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna misrepresent. I'm not gonna say things. I'm gonna stand as God wants me to stand even if my employer is displeased with me. Um, being a witness for Christ even if our family um, is gonna mock us. I know we were praying for Judy Jester at her um, brother's passing. And she's a testimony for her family and it's not her testimony is not, may I say, greatly appreciated. I'm gonna stand for God no matter what others may say. I think that's what it gives us a snapshot. If I'm straining to become like Christ, I'm straining for that prize. At age 25, in Second Chronicles 25, you see it on the screen behind me. Amaziah was crowned king of, of Jerusalem. At the age of 54, he died. For 29 years, it says, when he, he reigned and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Yet look what it says, yet not with a whole heart. He did what was right. For 29 years, he checked in at 8 o'clock, he took an hour off for lunch, and he was done exactly at 5 o'clock, and he went home with his lunch basket. Um, he did exactly what protocol required, he did what he was supposed to do, and God candidly says, yet not with his whole heart. He was like the, may I say, the Mississippi River that just slowly meanders his way south and just slowly works his way down. That's the way Amaziah was. But that's not the way the apostle Paul was. When you think of Paul, Paul would have ricocheted off of that river. Paul would attack that river. Paul would have been a madman on the Mississippi bouncing all around because he attacked life. He didn't do just what he was supposed to. But that's what Amaziah is doing. We don't want to be like an Amaziah. We don't want to be like an individual that's just doing what we're supposed to do just to get by. We want to attack it. We want to strive to cease Christ, to make Christ our own. Let me just address 15 and 16 briefly. Um, He gives an exhortation. He says in this passage where he said in verse 12 that I'm not perfect yet. That means to be complete. Though it's the same word that's used here. But here he's talking about maturity. There in 12, I'm not not claiming to be perfect. I've not reached that point. But here I am claiming to be mature. Mature in Christ. And he wants to become, may I say more mature. He wants to grow in his Christ-likeness. So is that our goal? Are we becoming like Christ? What is the image? If people look at us, are they able to see the image of Christ in your life? Are they able to say, man, I, I, I see Jesus like the Greeks when they came to Philip and said, sir, we would see Jesus. Are they able to see Jesus through your life? Last month, I called down to the Alamo. I was doing some, some research and I spoke to a historian down there at the end of February. Because I had read something, I just was curious if it was true, and um, I, I said, "Do you have a Do you have hanging in the Alamo um, a picture of James Butler Bonham? That's really his nephew." And he said, "Well, no, this is the real story." He said, "We don't have a real picture of one of the heroes of the Alamo, James Butler Bonham, but they had a picture of his mom and dad, and they had a picture of his nephew and one other relative, and they got." He said, "I forget." What TV program but it was a famous forensic artist in America and they gave him those photos and they had him draw what would James Butler Bonham look like and he came up with this drawing and then they showed it um, in December just three months ago to the oldest living Bonham relative alive. She's 90 years old. And they, not that she would have been alive at the Alamo, but she would know the Bonham features of the Bonham men in the family. And she looked at that photo and said, That's exactly Bonham features. And she talked about the features that would have made. So they felt that they had a pretty good replica. That's what's hanging in the Alamo. Because they took a composite of the family, and this is the image of the Bonham family. This is what he looks like. So I say to us, are people able to see an image of Christ through our lives? Are we striving for Christ that we are yearning to become, become like Christ in, in our words, in our actions, in our desire? I get it, we stumble. But do we get up and say, God, forgive me, I'm going to press on, I want to be what God wants me to be. May we keep climbing and may maybe say on our epitaph, not to think about it, if I want it on mine, I choose to climb. I like hiking, but I choose to climb spiritually. God, we love you. We desire you. May you be preeminent in our lives. May we defeat anything that would replace you, any idols that would take supreme position in our hearts. And God, may you have that place. And may that be evident by the way we live this week. For your glory, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.